You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. What's up, what's up, man? We got a fun one in store today. Always changing it up, Blasco. It's what I love about working with you on this stuff. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by our buddies at rockabilia.com. Go check them out for the awesomest collection of officially licensed band merch on the planet. Use our code PCJabberJaw and get 15% off your entire order. If you listen to the last episode that we just released, uh, number 62, I tell I tell a little story about my experience of, tr- of you know trying to get a shirt from uh, Rockabilia. So I'm not going to be so long-winded this week. I am going to remind everybody that they do support our network, Jabberjaw Media, and the show. And that is important to us. So if you are ordering merchandise, please support them by using our code to select from their over 500,000 products across all kinds of genres. They're great people. We're great people. You're great people. So head on over rockabilia.com and uh, yeah, tell them, tell them Blasco and Mike sent you. Today's episode is also sponsored by the cool kids over at bandzoogle.com, where you can build a stunning website for your music in minutes. Try it free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code MENTAL to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Yeah, you know, Banzoogle is a great company that that found us and wanted to, you know, share their amazing platform with our listeners. And, you know, we did an episode with Mr. Dave Cool from Banzoogle. I believe it was number 55. So not too long ago, but head over and listen to that. And again, it's a great company started by musicians to help musicians. So we've got a code. I'd say check it out. Banzoogle.com, the code mental for 15% off. This week, we talk with manager Randy Nichols about marketing plans. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Oh, I'm so excited, Blasco. I've known Randy for so long and he is so good at what he does that i mean literally dude i'm i haven't been this excited about an episode in quite some time um because randy's got insight that you know i've learned from him uh you know as long as i've been a manager 
That's part of what you and I talk about on this show is how to get support, to get resources, to ask your peers. And Randy has been one of those guys who has always had remarkable bands, managed them with uh, a class and integrity that guys like you and I admire and respect. So I am pumped. Glad, glad, yeah. glad we got Randy. Randy, go ahead and say hello. Hey, what's up? What's up? Thanks for having me. This is this is fun to just kind of share with people what I've been learning and having this be on release week for my Under Oath record. It's fun just to share the story of the work that I've been working on for the past two years. We can get into it, but I think for nothing else, I think it's really interesting and really cool that you, as a very established, very successful manager, that you can come come out with the fact that you've learned something of recent and that there's always something new here to learn. Like we're our, our music business that we're in is so evolving and ever changing that, uh, you know, I really admire the fact that you've put yourself out there to where you're like, Hey man, like, like I learned some shit and I want to share with everybody. I think that's really cool. And, and, uh, I, I, thanks for uh, coming on, man. We, we've only had, uh, three guests in 63 episodes. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm always excited to learn. There's so much just talking to each other. We all learn from each other. It's what makes managers better. And it's how artists are going to learn more. You got to all talk to each other because no one knows everything. Without a doubt. Um, So guys, today, the basis of the article that I found was a guest post written by Ariel Hyatt and it was titled, Do You Have a Marketing Plan? So I thought it would be uh, good to use for today since we are talking marketing plans. So the article starts off like this. Rising above the chatter is one of the most important and difficult problems faced by any music marketer or musician. But the task becomes far less daunting if you have a marketing plan. So we're going to dig into marketing plans and uh, Randy is going to drive the ship today. Let me, let me press pause for one second, Blasco, because Randy, can you just set the tone? You know, we've, we've alluded to the fact that, you know, and you just said under oath release week, blah, 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 but take two minutes to give us the scope of exactly why you're here. Why, you know, you and I had a conversation. We thought that this would be interesting. What is it that you're doing? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And yeah, I mean, basically the story is we wanted someone to help us tell the story of this record. The, The idea was the band made a great record. They knew their story, but they wanted to figure out the best possible way to actually tell a story and craft that story and bring in a partner with them into the studio to help them find their own voice. Well, even, is, even yeah. I mean, which is all important, but I guess I'm trying yeah. to take a, a, a step back. Under Oath, you know, you, when's your release date, all of this sort of stuff, you know, you say two years. So, like, kind of paint that just really general picture of that part of it. It's a good story, and I'll, I'll keep it quick because it's been told a lot, so I know it. I've been managing Under Oath since 2004 when their breakthrough record Chasing Safety came out and was worked with them through their all their highs and lows. And um, unfortunately, the band had chosen to break up in, God, what are we, like 2012, the band broke up. That was a disappointing moment in their career. But we got them back together again, which is why we're all here talking today. But um, 
the whole thing came back together again. One band member texted everyone, put together a group text, kind of saying, hey, I miss you guys. Let's just play a show in a basement somewhere. Let's just do this just to have fun again. And that just set off a multi-year conversation of, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. And I began talking to concert promoters, trying to figure out what kind of tour they could put together and how this plan would look to allow them to come back and get the most out of it so they could just go back to just loving this again. And we put together a successful tour literally before they even finished their first week of practice for the tour. I started getting texts from people going, this is really cool. I think this is going to be forever. I think the band's back together again. I think we're going to start writing. But then, then other guys would be afraid to tell anyone else in the band even because they were afraid that someone else would think they got too far ahead than the other member. And literally in the beginning after that tour, you know, they had a successful tour. It was biggest tour of the band's career. Then band members started writing in secret because they were afraid to tell the other one, just afraid that if it was taken the wrong way, that it might blow the whole thing up. So guys were writing in secret for over a year and slowly started talking to each other about it, realized they wanted to make a record. And then we got to the part where we really formulated a plan of what this record would be. Cool. And so the record, when was it recorded and, and with whom? Yeah, so we recorded this record over this, this past summer of 2017 out, just outside of Baltimore with Matt Squire. Awesome. And your release date is, uh, I think by the time this episode comes out, your record will have just been released. It's Friday, April 6th. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. So I think we can really dig into this marketing plan article and Blasco can walk us through um, and get your incredible insight on, yeah, what what was it that you did differently? What did you learn? And um you know, what impact do you think that this has made? Cool. Like, yeah, let's walk through Ariel's marketing plan article here. So in her article, uh, step number one would be to set your goals for both short term and long term. So in the case of, of you, Randy, can you uh, kind of break down the goal setting in the process of this under oath record? Yeah, absolutely. In, in the short term, our goals were literally get this record done. What is the vision going to look like? How are we going to present this band to the world? The band's been gone, hasn't made a record with their lineup for over a decade. So how do we bring this back to the world? How do we bring Under Oath's creativity that they've always been known for back to the world in an exciting fashion? So we went through that process of drafting that plan. But then the big picture long-term plan is where do we want to be in 18 months to two years? Because you don't want to be just where you were before after this plan. You want to take this thing and be like, all right, if we were playing clubs before, how are we going to be playing sheds by the end of this album cycle or the next album cycle? So we were trying to create that vision of how to take this band from where they've always been to a completely new level. And what were some of the challenging conversations that you had and really like who... You know, did you lead this? Were there particular members within the band that had you know, very specific ideas. Give us a little bit of scope of, of what that process looked like. Different members have always had different ideas for this band, but this record, I would say the ideas were the most aligned. And it was, we're always going to be who we are and be creative, but let's try compromise. 
It's something that Under Oath never considered before. It was always, if all six guys don't agree, it doesn't happen. And they realized the lack of compromise quite often held them back. So they decided if most of the band likes something and a producer likes something, we should start seriously looking at this idea because one of us may be wrong. That's a, that's a maturity that only comes with uh, a <laughs> being of a certain age and b in some senses having worked with artists who have reunited is is yeah having it all go away and coming back with just a completely different frame of mind and excitement. Um, what in terms of you know specific marketing and these short term and long term goals? I mean, you know, where do you start to think about that branding and sort of those types of things that? you know, I've looked at from an outsider's point of view and been very impressed with, you know, the visuals and some of that stuff. Where where did that start to actually come into play? Is it at this point or is it further down the line? No, it's 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 at this point. It's in the studio. We reached out to a longtime friend of the band named Brandon Reich, who used to be in Dead Poetic and he's been doing T shirt designs for us for over a decade understands the band, understands the genre. He was really hands-on in developing the creative strategy behind 21 Pilots as well. And we brought him into the studio. We said, we're not going to hire you when this is done. We want to bring you into the studio, you to hear the record and help us create that visual and storyline for the record. So Brandon came into the studio second to last week the record was done to hear playback of what was going on and to sit for two days and talk to everyone and get an idea in their head where they are in their life, what inspired portions of the record. And Brandon went away for a month and came back and gave us a pitch of his vision of the story that we wanted to tell based on talking to me, the manager, and the six band members of what excited them, what they didn't want to do, and how they wanted to get to where they wanted to go. And he literally did a Skype phone call with the band and went through a deck and walked us through each page, starting with the album cover. Actually, no, starting with a mission statement of what this record and band is about, a portion of which is in the bio for this record. And went through that mission statement and then a deck of the visuals of what this record meant to him. And just through the interaction with us, he encapsulated exactly what everyone was thinking into a presentation. Wow. That's awesome. And we'll dig more into that. Step number two is identify your niche and the leaders in it. So I would think that identifying your niche when the band was rolling was, you know, in some way plug and play, but here you are, the band breaks up. You're coming back. A lot has happened in that in that time period from when they broke up to now when they're putting a record out with the idea of the of this marketing plan and the mission statement. Was there a moment when you had to maybe re-identify a new niche as you know, these you're some of your fans are older now and maybe have moved on, but yet there's a new crop of young people coming in. So did you find a need to identify these people so that you could connect with them? Yeah, absolutely. And it's twofold. It's identifying the niche of who may not know about the band, but on paper should be a fan. The kid who's listening to bring me the horizon and Beartooth 
and you know those types of bands that some of them may not know under oath but how do we get to them because they will like them and then the other niche is our, a lot of our fan base are in their 30s now how do we find them where are they now they may not be going to shows as much they may have kind of aged out of some of the scene music and are just listening to active rock radio and how do we craft the right plan to get to radio to reactivate some of the old fans as well? Yeah, I think what's interesting is in the article and the details, uh, you know, what Ariel says is, you know, this is an example. Remember, quote unquote, rock star is not a niche, but gluten free rock star sure is. So, yeah, what specific things? I mean, when Underworld was around originally, I mean, they were kind of kings of the scene, kings of the warp tour world. You know, more or less. That's how I remember them. What specific niche now have you identified? Yeah, is it this active rock thing? Is it, you know, you're you're trying to um, exist in both worlds? What, yeah, what? I mean, it's it's an interesting niche because if you look back before, part of their niche was being a Christian rock band. Whether they wanted it or not, that was the niche that they fell into. And this time around, it's it's a niche, but it's also a story. It's, it's falling into this idea of openness and honesty. And it's something where this, this falls within the band and how they want to reach the rest of the world. And it's being a completely open book, which a lot of people aren't comfortable doing. And it's sharing with people who may have been skeptical of Christianity in the past, that, yeah, we've been skeptical, too, at times of the people involved. And it's finding this niche of people who are just questioning the world and really wanting to say it's it's OK to question these things. We do it, too. And we may have walked away from things that we believed in in the past and some of us may not have. And it's niche is a strange word for it, but it really does fit it. And then on the other side, Spencer, who struggled with drug addiction for years, really wants to find this niche of telling people who do struggle that it's okay to struggle. I got help. You can get help. And just finding that peace where there's a lot of people in those same moments in their life and saying, it's, it's okay. We're, we've all been there. We're all doing this. And in regards to the leaders, I mean, you mentioned bands like Bring Me the Horizon and, um, you know, Beartooth, but were you guys looking even higher than that? You know, you mentioned the guy that you hired, to, to help you with the branding stuff, you know, helped with 21 pilots. Were you looking, were you looking that large, you know, uh, and, and are there other leaders that you guys kind of are, yeah, using as inspiration? Yeah. I mean, we're, you're always looking at whether it be in music or even in fashion, it's, it's looking totally wide as to what's influencing culture as a whole. Like, if you look at all the packaging on this Under Oath record, everything has the, this greenish-yellow color, which is Pantone 381. And one of our designers that were involved in this project is like, this is going to be a hot color. And you should follow what's going to be the next hot color, because that will tie you into more cultural relevancy with the color that you're using in your artwork. So while we're, while we're looking at bands, you know, we're influenced by the Foo Fighters, and, you know, countless other rock bands, but we're influenced by color. Just that's how deep we went when we were looking at what we were going to do with every move. I chuckle, but I think that's cool. You know, that there was a color that was identified. I chuckled because it's going to be a quote unquote hot color. But have you seen 
an impact from that specific thing, from using a a very defined color, but more importantly, has there been really any benefit in your mind of using a quote unquote hot color? I think there absolutely is because when people see this color within our community that have been working on this for six months, we're like excited. Oh, look, these other people are using this too. And it, it, it helps define you. It's kind of like Under Oath's logo for years has been this O with a slash through it, which is a letter from a Scandinavian alphabet. I forget which alphabet. But when people see that, they think Under Oath. We kind of tuck ownership within a certain community of a letter. So you can take ownership of anything and make it your own. And that's what makes it special. And, you know, for younger bands that are listening to this, you can do the same thing. You find something that is exciting to you that's not completely mainstream and you can incorporate it into your story. And if you regularly use it, you start to be known for that thing. Yeah, I think it's Danish, the alphabet that has that that symbol, that letter with the O, um, but it is a Scandinavian one. And as I'm looking at the social media, I mean, everything is very uniform and in my mind, very impressive. One thing that I, I noticed when, you know, everything was first announced was that your singer, Spencer, actually even changed his hair color. You know, he, he was forever. I think he had black hair or, you know, brown hair and he went bleach blonde. I'm presuming that was a you know, a conscious decision, you know, I would hope so for his sake. Well, sure. But I mean, how, what was that decision making? Did he consult you? Was it this, uh, you know, guy who came up with the overall, you know, hot color that, that made, you know, that put that, uh, planted that seed into his head. And, And then ultimately other than people noticing it and talking about it, has there been any real measurable effect or what's your comment on that? No, I mean, thankfully, we're not to that degree of this is how you should, you know, do your hair. That was that was all on him or maybe his girlfriend. I I didn't speak to him about it one day. He sent a picture and it was how he looked. But interestingly, I think what a lot of it came from is he had these grungy dreads for years and he had this look. And I think that look almost mirrored an attic lifestyle. And he wanted to clean his life up in every way possible. And I think that came down to just having clean hair, as crazy as that sounds. But I think that was important to him to be clean and healthy. And that's where that comes from. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Step number three, which you kind of dug into, but I think we can dig a little deeper, is create your signature story. And, you know, why this is important is because at the top of the article, it's like we're talking about rising above the chatter, right? I mean, it's like you guys could have just made a record and just put it out and not gone to the depth that you did of creating a specific Pantone, creating a mission statement, going in deep and creating a story. So tell us about the advantage of having that story that was in alignment with your brand. Yeah, I mean, a story is just so important because if you're going out and doing interviews all the time for your band, if you have a few key points that you're always talking about, you become known as the band that talks about these things. And then people may come to you to talk about those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange comparison, but if you look at politics, there's talking points that come out of every political party every day. 
And then they send their talking heads out on every one of these news shows to talk about what's important to this political party in a moment. A band can do the same thing with their message. And your message is, listen to our fucking music. But you can't say that. So you need a wider group of things that are important to you that inspired your music or inspire you just personally in general. It can be a passion for gun control. It could be a passion to not have gun control. But different things that just grab you, you should work it into your overall story of what you're going to talk about when you do interviews. It's one of the things that I've told my bands in general is when you do interviews, if they're not asking you the right questions and you're not able to tell your story, just do what you see politicians do on TV. Just start talking about what you actually want to say and just touch on what those people said and then twist it to what you actually want to talk about. And you just need to know what your story is. And what your story is, is what's important to you? What gets you out of bed in the morning and excited to be in a band and play a show? And finding that allows you to tell that story. And for us, we literally brought a friend into the studio to hear everybody's story and my story and the label story of what we thought was important and had someone on the outside craft that story. But you can very easily sit down as a group and figure out what's important to you and find those messages. Yeah, this is cool. And, and you know, one of the things I pick up on is, you know, you mentioned, hey, I, I tell my bands. And so you've worked with a number of artists over the years, each at different stages in their careers. One of my questions, not necessarily about this particular step, but in general is, you know, a large part of the audience that listens to our show is, of course, developing artists. What of what you're doing has changed or I guess how much of this stuff did you guys think about, you know, during the development of Under Oath's career or how much of it is really just, you know, you're thinking about it now because A, you're, you have the ability to do so, B, it's so important because you're coming back from a hiatus or whatever, you know, where is that line in your mind of when to start these kind of things? I think you need to start it as early as possible in a band. And yeah, we, we started this later and a lot of people have started it later, but a band is a brand and you need to think of what that brand is and how you want to market it. If you look at a small company, you know, a small, like I like, I like this, um, small, um, God, what the heck is it? It's like a maple syrup soda. They're tiny, tiny distribution. But they're thinking about every step as they've been rolling out this company, how to reach people. They're not Coca-Cola yet, but you need that plan from day one. And you need to do the same thing as a band. I manage a band called Beach Slang, who are still a very, you know, very small new band, sold a few thousand records. But everything they do is what I'm now doing with Under Oath. And I learned a lot of that from them because the lead singer of the band is a graphic designer, worked for a branding company. And he learned how to do branding, and he's brought that into his message. And even though they're a tiny band, I've had other major artists in the same genre as them come to us for design consulting because we have a message. And everything you look at with beach slang has a message, has a similar aesthetic, and people know when they see certain images within that world that it's beach slang. And by doing it at that level, it allows them to to grow their band and have a greater awareness. And I, for one, for any band I manage now, I'm viewing it in this fashion. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah. I, not, to, 
I think Blasco and I would echo that sentiment. We've all been managing roughly about the same time. And, you know, whether it's just that each of us has learned so much or it, it, it now is so necessary, you know, like because so much control is in our hands, the artist's hands. Yes, you have a label, but really, you know, you're crafting your story on the Internet no matter where a band is. And that's why I wanted to ask the point or ask the question is, Yes, you do need to be thinking about these things. How do you uniquely, you know, create your signature story? How do you align yourselves uh, or, or rather, you know, be unique and stand out? And really, you know, I, I know Blasco and I have talked about this. And you know, when I first started managing, I didn't think of a band as a brand. I didn't think of them as a business. But that is something I've learned and something we try to convey to our listeners is, it doesn't have to be, you know, if you're in your first practice as a new band, you don't have to, you know, necessarily break out the, you know, the QuickBooks and start, but you do have to think about those things, you know, much earlier on than, than I ever did. And I'm sure Blasco did and probably yourself as well, Randy. Step number four, create your customer archetype. Now, Randy, you, you touched a little earlier about, you know, digging into and de- deciphering the fan base as they've gotten older and a new batch has come in younger. But did you guys dig so deep to where you were designing archetypes and 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 and, uh, and avatars and and understanding where they shop, what their habits are, where they are online? Like, did you guys go that deep into into finding your your fans, your customers? Yeah, you know, we've looked at a lot of data. There's so much data out there now for bands. If your music's on Spotify, there's the artists for Spotify. Even little things like Amazon, looking at who else bought your record. I found the Amazon data of similar people who bought your, similar bands of people who bought your music. The data's better on there than any other platform. But I'm always looking at data to see who the fans are, where they are, their age, their location. And it it really helps you to figure out how to market to them and who they are. And if you're not happy with who that base is, how to try to figure out where there's bubbles of interest in other places and how to change your mission to reach those people as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, we're living in the in the data age Right. And the narrative, it's all about data. It's all about data. But then the real question becomes, okay, that's cool. We can get it all, but we now need to figure out what we do with all that data. Like it's cool to have it, but how do we use it to our advantage? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a rough thing, but it's, it's, it's the biggest challenge of this business now is how to use all these data points to actually track and find these fans. And some of this stuff is really creepy from what you've seen with this <laughs> Analytica Facebook stuff going on right now. But those people who are more you know, savvy to data, they have you know, audiences on, they have Facebook audiences and then lookalike audiences. And they're using retargeting pixels on their websites to track someone who comes to your site once and then you're following them around the internet to try to find them again. And it's creepy, but it's, it's, it's where our business has gone in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, speaking of Facebook, step number five is attend to your social media. So you had, you put together 
a branding strategy, if you will, how far did that roll into your presentation? Like how deep into social media? Like were you guys like planning posts like months ahead or in terms of your attention to detail on your social media, how deep did that go? Well, we actually started some of the planning in our initial conversations where we're still designing the story. We wanted a very cryptic rollout for the record. Very early on, we came up with these ideas of mailing out CDs of song clips to fans, but it just saying Erase Me on it, which is the album title, and nothing else on it, and letting people slowly try to figure out what it is. So one thing that I noticed, because I'm, I'm looking at the, the band's Instagram, how long have they had an Instagram? Because it looks as if if you've had one you know, for a long time, you guys made a concerted effort to, to sort of start fresh with your, your posts. Yeah, um, we actually, we, we hid all our past posts on Instagram as we announced the record. So all the focus was on the record. And if you notice... All the posts are two different color tones. You either have Pantone 381 or black and white. And every other image is the opposing color tone. And we wanted to do that so it, it has this uniform look and feel to it. And, you know, we, we thought about those things very early on for how we were going to roll out each of these steps to make it compelling and exciting. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to be reactive and creative. And some of these things we think of on the fly, some of them we had thought about six months ago. And you can't, you can't let a good new idea get in the way of your existing plan, too. I think it's good to know that you, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself in terms that you said that some of the stuff you have to do on the fly. Because... You know, a, a lot of times, you know, the, the information out there is is planning ahead and having everything so far thought out. But I feel like we're still rock and rollers, right? Like it still needs to be like sometimes you just got to throw out something on a whim, right? Sometimes it just has to be like, like I'm just feeling like putting this out right now. It's, it's, it, I know it isn't the best time of day per my analytics to release a post, but I just feel like. It has to be that way sometimes, right? Not everything can be so, so analytically planned out, right? Like it's, it's okay to be a little, you know, a little frivolous and just kind of throw something out there sometimes, right? Yeah, you, you have to do that. If you're not, it's not rock and roll. It's, it's not exciting. You know, there's, there's something about seeing what's happening and reacting to it. Like when Under Oath released Rapture, which is the first single from this record, but not the first song we released, we knew it was going to have some fan backlash. It's the most different sounding song the band ever put out. And we watched the reaction and we started brainstorming. What's the best response to these people who hate the song or temper um, in more reality, temporarily hated the song. And we released the next thing we did is we released a 10 second clip from a song. That's the first song on the record, which is basically musically what a lot of those fans who were upset wanted to hear and the lyrics are kind of just like fuck you we're doing what we want to do so it was just the perfect response and we brainstormed with what to do with it and i being a more aggressive one than some of the people in the band i wanted to set up a bot on face i mean on facebook on twitter 
that every person who bitched about the song that they didn't like, they got a reply from a bot with this song clip. It's basically like in your face yelling at you. And I, I absolutely respect and understand why some of the guys felt that was, some thought it was too aggressive and obnoxious, and some felt like, why should we have to defend ourselves? And both are valid arguments, which are reasons why we didn't do it, but we did make sure that the next song clip we put out was that song. And that's the kind of on-the-fly stuff that's so important. You have to react to what's happening. If you have a plan and you don't deviate from your plan, you're going to screw yourself. One last bit here that I'd like to ask is what role did like the, the personal uh, touch play in at all? You know, who, who, you know, what, was there room for a voice? And if so, whose voice was it? Was it the singer's? Was it somebody else's to, to you know, make sure that this wasn't, didn't just feel like this crazy well thought out marketing plan, but more so like a, Hey, you know, here's, yeah, here's what we feel. Here's what we think. I mean, interestingly, for you two guys as a manager, especially, you'll be blown away by this. We created this voice from everyone getting together, and there is almost no pushback from the band. Almost through this whole process, it's been, hey, this is what we're going to do, and we send it to the guys, and they're like, say, yes, this is the vision. Perfect. And there's been almost no pushback. Maybe three or four times throughout the entire album setup has somebody said no. And one of them is what I was just describing with with releasing the clip from that song. But what happened is everyone understood each other so well and the mission was put together so well that the only times that people have pushed back on things was, hey, we have this really uncomfortable idea and you may or may not like this because it could personally have a backlash on one or more of you or you may be personally offended by it and others will be. But other than that, it's just been go time. And it isn't one person. It's just been a couple of pieces that could be offensive to someone. If one person's offended, that's really been enough not to do it. Because if one person in the band is, that means a lot of fans will be. Final step number six. This is Mike's favorite. Create consistent, compelling content. So, Mike, what's your phrase you always say? Great content done consistently over time. That's how I've seen results. And Randy, if you haven't heard it before, which I bet you have, if it ain't great content, which, you know, it seems like you guys are more than capable of, but to our developing artists out there, good enough. You know, it's subjective. Art is subjective. But as long as you're proud of it and it's good enough, get it out there with consistency. So yeah, I just want to throw something in there real quick. It's, Sometimes you may not feel the content's good enough, but other fans just want to see the inside with you. And if you're not the best video editor, but you can edit something, people are still going to appreciate that. So don't don't be afraid to share it because it's not perfect. That's that yes, that's a perfect way to uh, add on to exactly what I'm talking about. It, this stemmed from people being afraid to share things because they didn't think it was good enough. You know, I say great, which of course we all aspire to, but you know, I would say, look, good enough. Just like you said, people want to see it. They want to hear it. So then consistency comes into place. And then, you know, for artists like Under Oath, you know, you've, time is such a long spectrum. But if you can think back to, you know, when you first found them before they blew up, uh, you know, what, yeah. I mean, 
you know, there's, there's, or the other artists that you work with, you've seen that sometimes you just got to continue to do it, continue to do it, continue to do it. You can't control the timeline for which it finally takes off. Right. Yeah. I mean, we all came out of that DIY punk rock hardcore scene years ago or metal. And it's like, none of that stuff was super professional, but people loved it because it was raw, real and natural. Yeah. Before we sign off, Randy, is there anything that we missed that you want to touch on regarding, you know, marketing plans specifically for Under Oath or maybe anything else that you've got your hands in of recent? No, I mean, one thing I would say, though, is just be real, be natural and be yourself. And don't be afraid like we did with Under Oath. We hired a branding company to help tell us who we are. But talking to your friends is what we did. And they just happen to be a branding company. Talk to your friends, ask them what's great about your band. Why do they like what you do and figure out what people really like about you? Because that's that's what we did on a high level, professional level. But do that with your friends and fans. And you may what you may think is great about you may not be what all your fans do and find what that is and capitalize on it. Well, that concludes episode 63. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened thus far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Uh, Randy, where can our listeners find you at? You can find me on Twitter at ForceMM. You can find me on LinkedIn at Randy J. Nichols. And you can find me on Instagram at Randy J. Nichols as well. And what about your band, Under Oath, for people that want to, uh, you know, go and take a look at some of the stuff that you've done in regards to this marketing? Yeah, I mean, just go to Under Oath's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's at Under Oath Band on most of those platforms. And check it out and listen to the record. It's, it's on all streaming platforms now and for sale everywhere. And lots of awesome, unique vinyl versions, too, if you're a vinyl collector. I got to say, for me, man... Thanks for joining us. We, you know, sincerely appreciate it. And uh, this was super informative. And man, like I said, it's like at the beginning, just the fact that here you are deep into your career, the band is deep into their career, and yet still trying new things to reach a larger audience, which is just so, you know, eye-opening and so progressive. And and I, you know, I appreciate um, everything that you guys are doing and and, uh, what you shared with us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so thanks from me as well, Randy. It's an honor to, to be able to bring you on here and, and share you know the insight that you've got that I've been privy to for years uh, with, with our listenership. For everybody out there in loyal listener land, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mike O'Loop. I've got the coaching platform up at OuterLoopCoaching.com. And of course, don't forget to head over to Rockabilia.com using the code PCJabberJaw for 15% off not only anything related to Under Oath or Randy's bands, but anything in their 500,000-plus items that they've got. And last but not least, Banzookle. And don't hesitate to go to JabberJawMedia.com, where some of our other shows have featured interviews with the members of Under Oath this week surrounding their, their new release. So thanks again, Randy. Thanks, Blasco. Always a pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Peace.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. 